Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Ben, and this is Will. You got to hear from him a bit earlier. If you're our guest today, if it's your first or second time here, a special welcome to you. We'd love to have you fill out your name and address on here if you're a first-time guest. We want to send you some certificates for free Chick-fil-A food. It's just our way of saying thanks for being with us. If you're a regular attender, go ahead and give us your name and email address, and we'll use this card later to take some next steps together. And also, if you have something you want us to pray with you about, write it on your card, and when the offering buckets come by at the end of the service, drop it in there. Hey, hey, Will, uh, Sophia just told us that a bunch of people tuned in for uh, the worship night that you guys did online. Tell everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a new idea. We wanted to, uh, last year we had six worship nights that were live, and we wanted to try something new, where you could watch at at your house, on a tablet, on your phone, a live worship experience. So we were on stage, the band, and we had our tech crew kind of running around like crazy, and at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday night, we had over 50 people within the life of Four Corners actually tuning in live to watch the night. And now the number of people who viewed it is almost close to 400. So it was a brand new idea, but it was pretty cool, uh, a new way to to worship together as a group. I was sitting in my bedroom watching along uh, with you guys and just uh, enjoying it. And then to see how many people have tuned in for that experience is pretty incredible. Pretty cool. 400 people. But we're not really up here to talk about worship right now, right? A lot of people probably don't know, you lead our outreach ministry. Yep. And uh, there's a bit of a slogan we use for that. We talk about here near and far. How do we do work outside of this church? And years ago, we used to kind of splash around into several ponds and try to do a lot of different things. But a handful of years ago, we decided we would rather go deep in a few areas versus broad in a lot of areas. And we've been doing that. And um, you're ready to give us a bit of an update of some cool things that have been going on. So why don't you tell folks what's been going on the last several months? Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Like Pastor Ben said, we wanted to do things here, pretty close to us, and then really far away. And ever since we started as a church, even five to six years ago, some of you may remember moving into this building. We decided that a core part in DNA of our church was we were going to build a church very far from us before we actually built the building here. And so what we did, we began to partner with a guy named James in Kerala, India. And we grew that ministry, but also planted a church and grew it there before we even had a building here. Right before that, we had built multiple deep water wells in Africa. And part of that isn't just because we're, you know, wanting to do something nice. We believe God's called us to actually influence people that don't ever enter in to the walls here. So here's what we've been doing. Yesterday, we had a group of almost 70 middle school, high school, some adults, and we're at New Life Mission which is where we send groceries, we we send food, we've sent toilet paper products. They are open, and through the week in Hamilton, so just 15 minutes from here, they serve their community in a mighty way. Yesterday we cleaned, we talked to people who were coming in, we packed almost 150 lunches, and what's pretty neat, I was talking to a guy who works there, his name's Leon, and what's cool about talking to Leon is he was outside the mission, he was just hanging out with a couple of his friends, he said, when you guys come in, you kind of overwhelm us, and I said, is that, is, that a bad, is that a bad thing? He said, no, we only have a two to three people who can do this work, and you guys do it in two hours. So it's pretty cool to see God working through us at New Life. Yeah, it's amazing. I was walking around a bit, watching people organize a big walk-in freezer, 
People were deep cleaning uh, bathrooms, and they were doing it with a smile. I thought about asking if they could come to my house when they yeah, were done. I thought that might be pushing it a little bit far. But it was incredible. Yeah. And then watching Felix, who is the only paid employee, and then the handful of people who just give time and energy to that place feel overwhelmed with generosity and appreciation for the work of this church. And for the 74 uh, seers or so yeah. who showed up, thank you. Um, that is exactly the heart behind our outreach that we want to put in place. But that's not really all that we've done, right? Yeah. Like I said, we partnered with James in India. It was pretty cool. We have about 45 girls who are on the campus there that we sponsor. So even just saying that is pretty spectacular, that a group of individuals in this church would pay about 40 bucks a month, and they would sponsor a child who's been abused, who's been left behind, and that money would go to pay for their school, pay for their education, pay for their health, pay for their food. That's pretty remarkable, but I want to tell you something that's even more exciting. Pastor James partners with pastors. He said it pretty simply that if you're a good pastor, what you do is you care for the orphan. So that's what we're doing. But what he also does is he cares for local pastors in the area, men and women who go to far-reaching areas in India with the gospel that we as a group and even in this crowd that we would never be able to reach. And I want to share a story with you that's pretty incredible. Pastor James writes this when he's talking about one of the, uh, one of the men that he had talked to. He says, the man who stands with me in this picture, we're not showing it here, but stands here, was in jail for many years. He had killed two people in his village due to an argument after they heavily drank. Later, he was arrested and sent to jail for years. As he came out again with a, revenge, with a revenged mind, the gospel reached him. He heard about a God who forgives sins and iniquities. He accepted the Lord, and later he was baptized. The baptism service was arranged in his village, but as the anti-gospel elements were making difficulties, we had to travel 20 miles with these believers, and y'all, 20 miles there is like 200 miles here. I'm just going to say it's crazy. With these believers and baptize them in a church baptism pool. And that too was very late at night. I mean, how cool is that? That the gospel could reach a man who should be in prison for the rest of his life. But the gospel doesn't, the gospel doesn't wait on that, right? Jesus has a way of making some cool things happen. And they just had a huge event yeah. on their campus. Yeah. Can you tell folks a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, sure can. They had a three-day conference where uh, men, women, young children, older, were able to come to the campus that we provided, which is pretty cool, that we at least helped uh, grow up. And they had food, they had games, but also they taught that Jesus Christ in their language, is someone you can follow and someone you can trust. I have a photo that's pretty cool of Pastor James uh, as he's talking and, and meeting with some pastors. I think we have that back there. So you can see these are just beginning of men who are following James as he disciples them, but as he sends them out. And currently right now, here's the big ask for today. And I want to be bold and ask you, right now we sponsor two pastors. It's pretty neat. Uh, we sponsor two, and by the end of the day, uh, we've been praying a big prayer that we'd be able to sponsor four. So we kind of want to double down and sponsor four. And by the end of the year, we want to be sponsoring about 10 pastors in this area with some resources, but also that they can be fully equipped 
to share the gospel in that language. So if you're interested in that, and if this is kind of pulling at you, I really want you to just use the Connect card today. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't, you don't have to put in your thing. Put your name down in an email. I want to call you or email you this week and just say, hey, I'm interested with what's going on in outreach. If India didn't speak to you, maybe New Life did, maybe the counseling that we do here on site, maybe the things we're doing across the globe, if you just write your name, I would love to include you on our email list and be able to let you know the exciting things that are happening in outreach. So when you talk about sponsoring a pastor, what this does, it allows a person who's bivocational, that is, he works for free for the church, and he works a full-time job to take care of his family. Most of these people are in poverty, and so when we sponsor, what we allow is we allow that family to have some food. Um, We allow them to send their kids to school, so they have to buy uniforms and books, and then there's transportation. It's a very different model than here, and school is cost prohibitive for a lot of these families. So what happens when we pay for those things, these pastors are able to reduce their normal job hours a bit and give more of their time and energy towards the local church. And they're literally going out into a several hundred mile range. And James kind of serves as their, this is the wrong word, but kind of their bishop, their leader. And uh, a few times a year, they come onto the campus. They're encouraged. And they pray, you may not know this, but they pray for our church once a month all night long. All night long they gather. And they pray for our church. And that moves me deeply. And so what we're wanting to do, since the orphan thing is up and running pretty hardcore, is we want to sponsor these pastors. And what you'll see is they will establish local churches and communities, and they'll just do the work of the gospel. They'll preach. They'll care for the poor. They'll lean in with the widow. They'll give effort to the fatherless. And so when we invest in leadership, there's exponential potential for the kingdom to grow. So, Will, if they wanted to do it, they would need to write Send me information about outreach right exactly. there in the comments, yep. or I want to sponsor a pastor. Exactly. And how much is it to sponsor a pastor a month? Yep. Yeah, so kids is $40, pastors is $60 a month. So I kind of do it Chipotle math, so it's about six times me going to Chipotle in a month. So it's about <laughs> 10 bucks, so you times that by six. So it's about $60 per month to sponsor a pastor, and this allows him to eat. It allows him to fuel his ministry and family and really just get on the ground running. Hey, thanks for your leadership. We've seen an exponential increase in what we've been able to do. Really excited about the New Life Mission. There's another big event coming up in about a month, right? Yes, there is. Yeah, the fourth Saturday in March. I believe it's March 24th. So it's the fourth Saturday. We are going to be meeting there at 10 a.m. We would love for you to join us. So sign up. You can just email me and we'll... We'll meet there. So we're going to clean, work on the outside, and I think we might get started on that outside garden they have for the community as well. Yep. So come prepared to sweat and get your hands dirty. Yep. Will, thanks. Can you give it up to Will for his leadership here? It's incredible what's going on. Well, in India, when they want to give you a gift that says you're valued, uh, a lot of times they'll give you an elephant. And so this is the elephant that James gave me a few years ago. And um, when I was with him, uh, with Will and a few other folks uh, earlier in uh, 2017, uh, I said, why? why the elephant? And he's like, well, it's a symbol of India. I'm like, yeah, he said, but bottom line is, is when you have a poor country and you can't give something big as a gift, you give a gift that represents something big. And so 
James has um, given these little gifts to people uh, as they've supported, and uh, I've got mine. I've got, in fact, I've got one from him, one from each of his daughters, and one of the pastors all sitting in my office, uh, bookcases right over there, and it's a reminder to me to pray for them, but today it has special in- implication for us as well. It has special meaning because we're starting a message series between now and Easter called The Elephant in the Room. So in India, the elephant is a good thing. It symbolizes blessing. It symbolizes my affection for you and my appreciation for you. But the phrase, the elephant in the room, means something very, very different. It indicates the idea that there's this thing that is kind of obvious, but nobody really wants to talk about it. And so we talk about elephants in the room, sometimes in a business environment where things need to be addressed, but nobody wants to address it. Uh, We we can talk about elephants in the room in a family environment where there's some dysfunction or some ongoing challenge, but we dance around it. It happens in marriages, but even in churches, it happens. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about several different kinds of elephants in the rooms of our lives. You probably have them. And our goal today is kind of turn the light on a few of these elephants and take away some of the the scariness, the awkwardness, the hesitation to engage some very important topics. And I'm starting with one that for me has been an elephant. Today we're going to talk about money and the church. Now there's a lot of reasons why the idea of money and the church is kind of an elephant in the room. It's a bit awkward to talk about. And over the years of my ministry, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, Um, Over the years of my ministry, this has been a subject that has brought me personal anxiety, uh, fear, and trepidation. Because most pastors know that the last thing people want to hear on a Sunday morning is a message about money. It's an awkward conversation to have. And so over the years, what our church has done, and I'm a very blessed pastor today to be able to do this, is what we've been able to do here is talk about it a handful of times a year without hopefully turning on the guilt screw, you know, tightening that thing down, or without over-spiritualizing or using hard-pressure sales techniques. And as a result, while in a lot of my previous experiences this was a high-level concern or a high-level anxiety producer. At this church, it's really pretty low, but I want you guys to like me. And so at the end of the day, bringing a subject that I know can rise up fear and concern has been a challenge for me. So I've thought deeply about this issue. So why is this a difficult topic to talk about? And over the next few weeks, as we deal with other topics, you're going to discover a similar theme. There's a reason why the elephants get to stay in the room unidentified. There's an awkwardness. There's a certain amount of courage required. There's often a confrontation that needs to happen. And the avoidance of that sort of thing and our hesitation in that allows the elephants to go unidentified, undealt with, and the movement that needs to happen doesn't occur. So why is it an issue when it comes to money? There's possibly a lot of reasons, but I think of three reasons why, immediately as a pastor, why I feel a little bit of intimidation to bring this subject to the stage. Reason number one is a lot of folks in my position stand behind pulpits And there's the perception and sometimes the reality that they've abused this issue. 
And you watch the news over the last couple decades and you see a handful of experiences and news reports where people in the, under the umbrella of God in the church have taken advantage of good-hearted and generous people. And so the last thing I want to do is be identified with those people. I don't want to use the words they use. I don't want to talk in ways they talk. I don't want to encourage what they've encouraged and by proxy then get associated with them. The last thing I want to do is be associated with people who've been operating in God and money with monkey business. I don't want to be identified as one of the monkeys. I don't want to do that. And so it's just a little awkward to talk about. If you think that you don't want to come to a church and hear a pastor talk about it. I can assure you, every pastor I know, the ones I know, the last thing they want to do is talk about it because they don't want to be associated with that stuff either. That's number one. Now, here's another reason why it's a little hard to talk about. The reality is when you talk about this, it's like pulling the Band-Aid off of a reality, not just in church, but in our homes. Here's the truth about people who live in a suburb like ours in North Cincinnati. Many of us in the room are not managing our finances well. So when you come to church and you hope to be encouraged and you hear a conversation about money, it often makes your mind and emotions go to an area in your own life where you're not engaging very well or healthily anyway. And sometimes something bad has happened and it's thrown you in a financially difficult situation. It's not really your fault, but it's difficult to deal with. And sometimes choices you've made and I've made over the last dozen years of our lives have put us in a pressure cooker with money. And the last thing you want when you deep down would love to be able to give is to even think deeply about the fact that you can't do what you would like to do and know you should do because you haven't managed your money well. And so that just elevates the tension around this topic. And the third thing that, I, at least to me for this season, is I think about why this is a difficult topic and why it's an elephant in the room. And this one's specific to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, this one doesn't apply to you, all right? You can get a buy on this one. But for Christians, statistically speaking, most Christians really aren't honoring Jesus with their money the way that they know they're supposed to. So not the way I tell you to or the way somebody pressures you to, but the way you know you should simply because you have some knowledge about what the Bible says about money and how you're supposed to do it. Statistically speaking, most Christians aren't doing that. And so these three things and probably a whole host of other things make it a difficult subject to talk about. Now, while it's true, I feel a certain amount of intimidation and fear to talk about these things. The last thing I want to do is turn somebody off. If you're our guest, let me tell you why it's a good day to be here. Because I'm not going to pressure you to give. You don't have to put your seatbelt on. And you're going to hear the heartbeat of this church about money. So it's a great day to be here. And if you've had bad experiences in other churches, I'm pretty confident you'll be happy with this one when it comes to money. Because this is one of a handful of times over several years that I talk about money. It just doesn't happen a lot around here. And it's a very simple reason why. People have been generous and obedient and good, and they've been giving out of the overflow of their gratitude so that it's not a pressing issue around here. We've been there, but we're not there. It's an incredible thing. Now, my first exposure to money and church happened when I was a kid. 
I'd go to church on Sunday uh, with my parents, and my dad would lay out, there were four kids in my family, my dad would lay out four $1 bills on the counter. We'd all grab one, and that was our gift in the offering in our Sunday school class. It was a big deal. And I remember one time, this was the standard question after church. My dad would say, what did you learn? The normal question people ask after church. And did you give your offering? It was a big deal to my dad to give the offering. And so we'd always say yes until one time I didn't. Because I had awoken to the value of money. And so it came time for the offering. And I remember feeling tension. And I let that little bowl pass right by me. And I did not reach into my pocket. And I did not pull out the $1 bill, which wasn't even mine to begin with. It wasn't like I had earned it. And I let that bucket pass. And I said, no, I did not give in the offering. My dad stopped the car. We turned around. We went right back to the church. And he said, young man, you march that money in there right now and give it to the pastor. So that's the environment I grew up in. Probably different than a lot of you. I'm grateful for that. Now, at the, at the moment, on the day when he stopped the car, the first thing I thought was, I'm about to get the whooping of my life. I'd had whooping. I just assumed this would be the worst. It wasn't a whooping. Um, but even though that was a difficult thing to do, my dad was simply trying to instill. Now, my wife's first exposure with money in the church is very different. My father-in-law is a tall man, and he kind of a, really in his young age, he was a, kind of an impressive guy just by his build and stature, and he's got rugged good looks, and he was the head usher in this, their church, and so the pastor would call for the offering, and they had offering plates, and so he would kind of direct everybody. They'd get into place, and the offering bucket or the plates are passing by, and when they passed by my wife when she was a young girl, she took her hand and pounded the bottom of the plate, and money went everywhere. It rolled down the floor. You could hear coins rolling, spinning. And her father looked at her, and it was one of the, like, two times in her life when she ever got a spanking. Now, she needed many more, but in that moment, it got, it got stuck on her. You don't play with money in church. Fast forward several years, and uh, it was early 1980s, and all my friends over the last year in our neighborhood had received an Atari 2600. This is the early video game with the joystick, the finest video game ever made, and I'm willing to fight over that, all right? And I didn't have one, so Christmas was coming, and I'm like, Dad, what we want, and I got all my siblings, you don't have to buy anything, we only want an Atari 2600, and I had shopped it for him, and I found that you could buy one at this one store for $129. Now, that's early 1980s. That's about $400 today, so it's, it's a big deal. Like, it's a big deal in our house to spend that kind of money for anything. We were not wealthy. and Well, it's about December 5th or so on a Sunday morning, and the pastor gets up and he says, it's a little cold in church today because our heater just went out. Now, I go to a church of about 60 at this point in my life, and he says, we don't really have a lot of money in reserve, so we're going to take up an offering today to fix the heater. So I knew what that meant in my family. My dad was going to give because that's what he did. My dad's a giver. And so my dad opens up his wallet and I look and he has a hundred dollar bill in there, which again was unusual. Like I know it's not that unusual today. It was very unusual, certainly unusual in my family. And he pulls it out and he puts it in my hand and he says, hey, this is for your Atari or you can give it to the heater. Now we're all sitting there 
you know. And man, the pressure on me in that moment. So the offering starts coming by. We're a third row family because that's what you did back then. And I was allowed to sit one row in front on the row of or in the row behind my parents. And we're sitting there and the offering bucket's coming and I'm doing the math in my head. And so it comes by and I hesit- I'm, I'm hesitating just a moment and I put it in. And my dad said, good, good job, son. Good job. But I want to tell you, I didn't feel good at all. I, there was a level of anger and frustration and disappointment in me. I, I, I was, you know, 14, 15 years old or so, and I just knew it was ruined. So I moped around for three weeks or so until Christmas came. And on Christmas morning, I had an Atari 2600, and my dad said, I just wanted to see where your heart was with money. Now, that may feel like a harsh lesson, but at this point in my life, I am incredibly grateful that money and church to my dad was not an elephant in the room to be avoided. My dad taught his kids to be givers, and it has been the source of incredible joy to me over my life. There's a lot of reasons why people give. Let me give you three. Some people feel like they got to give. And this is the problem, I think, in a lot of churches. We leverage the got to give. Now, in my family, there was an expectation you had to give because it was a matter of obedience to what the Scripture says. It's not yours anyway. It belongs to the Lord. But got to give is not a high-level motivator for most people. Most of us don't enjoy doing what we got to do. Think about all the things you got to do. You got to get up in the morning. You got to exercise. You got to go to work. Got to do lists aren't the most enjoyable kinds of things that we do. Some people in church give to get. And by the way, that's not all wrong. The Bible says that when you give to God, there is a return. Now, sometimes people overpromise the return, like you give $100 today, God will bless it 10,000-fold, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And, and they leverage that almost in a manipulative manipulative type of way, and that's not a very good motivator as, as well to give, even though I think that God does do that sort of, I've seen him do it, he's done it in my life, I bet he'll do it again, but it's not a promise in the scripture the way sometimes we've leveraged it, and so I think that's a pretty low threshold of why people give, but sometimes they do, but for me, early on, sometime in my early 20s after Jill and I got married, and we started thinking about the money we had earned and how we were going to give, I quickly landed on a third motivating factor to give, and that was I get to give. I get to give. And that has brought incredible joy and satisfaction and peace to our family. One of the most enjoyable things I do every quarter in my life as I sit down and I look at our finances and I look at how much money Jill and I have given to the Lord's work, our primary expression of the Lord's work is here. So we give a full 10%, well beyond that, to this church in the work of the ministry here. And generally, Jill and I, our second primary place to invest is in young pastors who are starting up. And so we've paid for college and seminary for people and not all of it, but we've been a part of that. And Sometimes we'll send them money to take breaks or we'll buy a hotel room for a stressed out couple. And so we, we love investing in the kingdom of God. And so I thought about if I wanted to get rid of the elephant in the room, 
and I wanted to make this issue less stressful for me and for others, perhaps we could talk kind of candidly about why I give. And so you're welcome to have your own reasons and feelings, but this is for me. And for me, the core passage in your message notes on the screen, in your Bible or on your phone is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is the key phrase. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. The key word for me there is decided. What have you decided in your heart to give. I love the phrase here because he doesn't say each of you should give what you've decided in your mind to give. The Apostle Paul here is hearkening back to Jesus' words that money is really a heart issue. That's what my dad was trying to get to. I wanted to see where your heart was with money. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Look at this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There was a season in my life when I would read that passage and I would think I'm not very cheerful, so I'm not going to give. That's not what it means. But there's something about your growth as a follower of Jesus that you begin to understand everything you have came from God. And when you give back a portion to his work in the world, it's not only fair and just and right, it's a blessing. It's a blessing, but that takes a certain amount of growth. It also takes a certain amount of discipline in your finances. So let me give you some fill-in-the-blanks here, just some observations, all right? So this is Ben. You're welcome to disagree with me. There are a handful of things where I'm going to say this is explicit in Scripture. You really would be foolish to disagree with that. But when it's me, you can disagree with me all day long, all right? So when Christians lose their, here's the first blank, gratitude, they lose, I have discovered, their generosity, so typically when I find a person who can't give, doesn't give, doesn't want to give, wants to talk with me about how we do money around here in a negative light, one of the things that I try to explore is, are they grateful? Do they have an acknowledgement that it's really from God anyway? Even their ability to earn money is ultimately from the Lord. Or if they're blessed, it's ultimately from God. All good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning. That's what the scripture says. Number two, when Christians lose their joy, they lose their strength. And so what I have found is if giving doesn't become a matter of joy, if you're not grateful that you have enough to be able to give, then it robs you of the strength and boldness to give. And so there's something about the joy of being able to give that matters. Here's, here's for me the big one, all right? Number three. When Christians lose their why, they lose their way. When Christians lose their why, they lose their way. So when you forget why you give and what God's trying to do, when you, when you don't think deeply about those things, it's very difficult to find your way. It's a similar dynamic when it comes to just obeying Jesus in any area of life. If you think that the reason why God wants you to remain um, pure in your marriage is because he's trying to rob you of something you deserve, then it's going to be very difficult for you to think about the boundaries that need to be in place. 
But when you think about why God wants you to be pure in marriage, and you remember that that's a boundary he means for your good, it's going to save you a lot of pain. It's going to prevent a lot of effort and energy later because he's a good God and the standard is good. If you understand the why behind it, it's easier to follow the way. Parents, you know how this is. When your kids know why you're doing what you're doing, especially when they're teenagers and beyond, it helps them to do the way you're asking them to go. When your boss says we're going to do this, but he doesn't tell you why, it doesn't make sense, it's hard. But when they take time to explain the why of what we're doing, it's a little easier, even if it's difficult to initiate, it's a little easier to get behind the initiative. And so why do I give the way I do? Number one, because I like the way I feel when I give. I like the way I feel when I give. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, the physician Luke writes these words, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There was a season in my life where I didn't believe that. God helped me, and some good parenting on this issue helped me to get to a place where I really believe that I'm blessed to be a blessing. And I've done it long enough now to know that when I am a blessing, I get blessed. It's a, it's a cycle that goes over and over and over again. And may, maybe you've experienced some of this. A few years ago, the kids on the corner of our cul-de-sac were uh, selling lemonade. You, 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 maybe you've seen this. Um, and so they were selling lemonade, and I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff, and I love seeing the kids out there. My kids were involved, so I go up uh, to the lemonade stand, and they're like, it's 25 cents, and I'm like, good, I'll have one. And so they pull out one of those little paper di Dixie cups, you know what I'm talking about, which, by the way, they had gotten from my house. So I'm already invested. They pull out one of those little paper Dixie cups, and they're like, pour, and they got their finger in it, you know, and they're pouring the, the lemonade, and they hand it to me, they're like, that'll be 25 cents. And I, I put $5 down. And like instantly, the crowd erupted. Whoa! Oh my! And they're like, five, look, five dollars. They're like stretching it like that. And I walked away. I didn't drink the lemonade. I poured it out. But I walked away. <laughs> I walked away feeling so good about just the little bit of blessing that I was experiencing by being generous and giving. When we think about our quarterly giving statement that we get around here, Jill and I think about our giving to the work of the Lord. And I think about the fruitfulness that we've seen, the lives that have been touched. I like the way I feel when I give. At number two, again, if you're not following Jesus yet, this one may make no sense to you. I give because the one I've surrendered my life to asks me to give. He asks me to give. And so I, at one point in my life, I remember thinking, you know how foolish it is for me to say, I trust you, Lord Jesus, with my soul, that you're going to take care of me for eternity. But I really don't trust you with this little temporary thing called money. The, the disparity in that became clear to me. And I thought, which is the more weighty value? This little temporary thing called money or my full ongoing eternal existence? And I trust him with that. I can trust him with this. 
And that weighed heavily on me. And it moved Jill and I, and at some point, perhaps I'll tell you the story, it moved Jill and I between being just kind of tippers, even though we had been taught to give with obedience and faithfulness, we were just not managing our money well, so we were tipping along the way. It moved us from tipping to getting more serious about our giving. Because really, at the end of the day, obedience really matters to me. If Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord. And if he's not Lord over any area of my life, in one real sense, he's not Lord at all. And this right here is what makes this difficult, makes this a difficult conversation to have in church. Because statistically, again, only about 4% of Americans who go to church, so we're way below the average here, give a full 10% or a tithe of their offering to church, of their giving, of their income to church. And about 25% of American Christians who go to church don't give anything at all. That's just the reality. This is back in about 2012. In Christianity Today, they did a study. The average regular attender who goes to church gives about 4% of their income. And that comes out to, uh, for a lot of Christians, the median, so not the average, but the median annual for American Christians is about $200 a year after taxes that they give at all to a church anywhere. And this is part of the pressure pastors feel. Because pastors know that everywhere else you go, talking about money is not an awkward thing. When you go to the store and you want to buy something, you walk up to the counter and the cashier has no qualm at all by saying, that's $15.79. She doesn't hesitate at all. You understand that there's an exchange that happens, that the goods cost money. And when I go to the pump, I don't feel bad at all. I, I drive a big car, it's a 31-gallon tank, and we drive way too much. And so when I'm putting in my over $100 very often, um, gas in the tank, I don't feel at all emotionally put out that the tank is clicking up to almost $100 when I fill it up. It but there was a season in my life when I'd come to church and it would be offering time, and I'd feel this, oh... Oh my goodness, they're talking about money. And the truth was, it was largely talked about because there's just a practical need to pay for lights, to pay for salaries, to buy the stuff, to do the work, to give it away, to make the thing happen. The machinery, it takes money to do ministry, and it took me a while to grow up to that. I felt like somehow if it's God's work, God should just provide. It reminds me of the little joke of the Usher, who was talking to the little boy about giving and about praying. Why do you pray before the offering? And the usher said, well, we pray to the, uh, before the offering so that when people give it, we give it as unto the Lord, not just because we're paying bills because it's a spiritual thing. And the little boy said, well, I've got an idea. How about next time, instead of praying, we collect the offering first, and then you put it all in one big bucket and you shake it up, and then you throw it up in the air. And the parts that the Lord wants to keep, he'll keep, and the rest we can redivide out to everybody. At the end of the day, we forget that there's a very practical side, and at the same time, there's a very spiritual side to the giving. Number three, I like to give, and this is where people mess up, and it gets abused, but because I like to position myself for God's blessing and protection. 
I like to position myself for God's blessing and protection. Now, again, this is where the health and wealth and the prosperity gospel that gets abused gets stressed. I'm not going there. But the Bible is clear that when you give back a portion to God, there's a spiritual shift that happens in your practical life. A lot of verses we could use. Here's an Old Testament one. It's one I like. It's one I actually pray. Here's what the prophet Malachi said to the people of Israel. If you'll give the way the Lord's asked you to give, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. That's King James. And that's the way I memorized it. That's why I put it there. But often when I write a check, I say, God, I want you to rebuke the devourer so that when this money goes, it's fully effective in this person's life that I'm making an investment in. When Jill and I were giving to the capital campaign to make this building happen, we want it to be a leading gift. And I'm not, we, we do well, I'm not complaining, but I'm not like the leading income earner. But I wanted to give a leading gift. And I remember we wrote that first big check, and uh, I remember holding the check and saying, God, would you rebuke the devourer so that this money goes far, far, far to do the work? And I've just seen God do that sort of thing. And that's my testimony. I don't know what yours is, and I wouldn't want to pressure you. And it would be wrong to say that if you give, God's going to increase it a hundredfold. But I have been on the receiving side of God's tangible and intangible blessing. And here's, here's where I, it might be like the most pointed thing I say all day. No matter what your emotions are about money and even the conversation we're having right now, you'll never take away and I'll never let you take away. The satisfaction, the joy, and the blessing I get from giving. You'll never take that away. No matter what you say, no matter how many people get on TV and it's discovered that they have abused something and taken advantage of someone, for me and for my house, giving back to the Lord's work in a tangible way makes for us an incredible difference pragmatically. Number four, I like to give because I really believe in the vision of the church. Maybe you've heard it say that the clearest way to know where your values are is to look at somebody's calendar and at their checkbook. I want to demonstrate to myself, to my kids, and to the people I'm trying to lead that at the core of my values is the work of the local church. I like to receive the offering on Sunday morning. We don't take an offering. That's seems the wrong. I like to receive the offering you're giving because I like to give you an invitation to help our church fulfill its calling in our community and around the world. That's a big, big deal to me. I really believe in this place. And think about it for just a second. If the pastors and the staff who lead this church weren't faithful in their giving, imagine how ludicrous it would be for us to say, give your time, your energy, and your heart to this place. It's ludicrous for church leadership to not be fully vested into the mission of the church. So every staff person here, every one of the pastors, gives a full 10% plus of their income to this church. I wouldn't work with them if they didn't. It would be ludicrous to say, lead God's people, but don't lead your finances well. We deeply believe in the mission of this place. And some of the staff here who don't make near the money a lot of families make give dramatically more than a lot of families here. 
And in our last Christmas offering, the staff led the way in the early giving. It's pretty incredible what happened. And we had people who are in the early 20s writing checks for hundreds of dollars for our last Christmas offering. And you saw what the Lord did with that. We had a goal of, of $80,000, and we ended up raising $105,000. Well, what happened there? Well, there's congruity between what they say they value and how they put effort behind what they value. Number five, I like to give because I like one day to expect to hear Jesus say to me, well done, Ben, and you can put your own name in there. I expect Jesus to say one day, well done, Ben. I really want to hear those words. I know that there are two judgments. You may not know this. There's the first judgment that there's nothing you can do to change other than accept the work Jesus has done. There's the first judgment that's going to happen in your life when you see God, and God's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? And your answer to that is going to determine whether you're in this side of the equation or you go to that other side of that equation. That's just the truth. That's the gospel. So I can't do anything to earn that. But once you're on this side, so those people over there don't have to worry about this. But once you're on this side, there's going to be another judgment. And God's going to say, now, what did you do with the life I gave you as you followed me? You may not know that, but that's going to happen. That's Bible. What did you do with the life I gave you? Was it all about you or did you make it about making me famous in this world? And on that day, I want to hear my Savior say to me, well done, Ben. You held nothing back. You gave all you had. You spent yourself. Well done. So there's four big questions. We won't spend a lot of time here. I ask when deciding to give. If you were to come to me and say, support my thing. If we're friends, I'll buy your Girl Scout cookies. But the truth is, I don't believe in the Girl Scout mission in the way I believe about the local church mission. I just like you and your kid. All right? And the cookies are good. But that's not the thing I'm passionate about. I'm not going to give my life to the Girl Scouts. You can. That's your thing. I believe in the local church. All right? I believe in the gospel around the world. So when I think about giving, I go through a grid. First one is the leadership question. Does the leader or do the leaders of this thing have competence and character? So is the money going to be wasted? Are they people of character? And if so, I've crossed for me the first threshold. Number two, the difference question. Is this organization making an eternal difference? If you want my big money from my own pocket that I've earned after I've given to this church and to ministers who are bringing the gospel around the world, Jill and I will sponsor one of these pastors in India. You're going to have to show me eternal difference because I'm not interested in saving don't offend some people, the dogs. You can do that all you want. It's your money. I know there's a cartoon that says all dogs go to heaven. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I know people have an opportunity. And for me, I'm going to give my money in saving people. All right? Emails. My email is will at fourcornerschurch.com. All right? <clears throat> so is it going to make an eternal difference? If you want my big money and it doesn't have eternal difference... If I like you, I'll token you. I'm a generous guy. But I'm going to give my big dollars. That's why I don't give to a lot of very good causes around the world. That's why when we landed on James, the reason why I love Pastor James is he preaches the gospel and he cares for orphans. Love it. And when I met him, he told me, here's why we invest in girls. Because we're going to, this is him and his culture. Some of you going to struggle with this. This is James. I love him for it. He says, I'm raising up these young ladies to be prayer warriors. 
Because they're going to be in local churches that we establish, and they're going to carry the work by being prayer warriors. And man, when they prayed for us, and we got in that room and prayed, the Holy Spirit just came into that place. Whew. Every bit of work we've done in this church to help them. And that moment for me was 100% justified. 1 Corinthians 3, if any man build on the foundations using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or, st- or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by the fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. Number three for me is the God question. If you ask me to give, I'm going to say, all right, but I got to think about this. I got to pray about this. And I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to say, Lord, what do you want me to give? And when I did that with our giving to this building and a handful of other things, even our end of year giving last year, I prayed for days about how God wanted me to give some money I wanted to give. Where is it going to go? Because I want to follow the Lord's direction here. And number four for me, it's a question we're going to fill in first. But before I do it, I want to show you a quick video that deals specifically with this last point. Many of you know that this week, Reverend Billy Graham passed away. There's a lot of things we could show about Billy Graham. He's a hero of mine. Love the way he leveraged his life and largely stayed free of any of the goofy monkey business that gets associated with pastors who have that kind of a platform. So a year or so ago, almost exactly a year ago, I was in a room where a young pastor shared his experience with Billy Graham, and I'd like for you to watch it right now. It's not about you. And years ago, right when we planted our church, I had the incredible uh, privilege of having dinner with Dr. Billy Graham. And not like a dinner. You ever eat eat a dinner where you get invited and it's like a famous person on stage and there's like a thousand people in the crowd? It wasn't this. There were six of us at a person's house from our church. And it was me and my wife, Dr. Billy Graham, a guy that travels with him, a nurse, and then the family that, that was hosting. That's it. And so they called me and they said, hey, uh, we need you to pray about something. How would you like to come eat dinner with Billy Graham? And I'm like, Billy Graham, are you, I don't even need to pray. Yes, I will be there. <laughs> and so we show up, man, and I mean, I am freaking out. This is Billy Graham. And I see him and I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm freaking out, right? And then he comes up to me and he goes, Pastor, it's a pleasure to meet you. I think he called me Pastor because he couldn't remember my name, but I don't care. I looked at my wife, I was like, Billy, just call me Pastor. You see that? <laughs> And then Dr. Billy Graham says, so pastor, tell me about your church. I understand many people are meeting the Lord. And I go, well, yeah, we just had a baptism service two weekends ago, and we baptized 300 people. And he went, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Hold on, Billy. Uh, I think in 1975, you had 75,000 people in Seoul, Korea, surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ. I don't think 300 rednecks getting wet down in Jacksonville are going to do anything for you, okay? (laughs) But honestly, man, he was just so gracious, just incredibly gracious. While we were eating dinner, he learned that my wife was on our our worship team. So he says, ma'am, I understand that you are a worship leader. And she's like, yes, sir. He goes, would you mind singing me a song? She looked real nervous, like, woman, you better give over there and sing to that man, all right? (laughs) Billy says, sing. You sing. Make it good, too. Okay. So she gets up from her chair, she walks around, he doesn't hear that well anymore, so she gets like right here beside him, goes right up to his ear, she just starts singing, drawing me a little closer. And at the table, 
Dr. Graham closes his eyes and lifts up his hand. He's just worshiping. And then when she gets finished, he just stays there for a minute. And he goes, well, I do believe I, that's the prettiest song I have ever heard. And I'm like, baby, you can sing, but that man's heard some people. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, he never asked me to preach. I'm not sure what that was all about, but I was willing. I was take an offering or something, but we didn't get to that part of the service. So then I asked him, I uh, said, uh, Dr. Graham, would you, he wouldn't even let me call him Dr. Graham. Billy, would you, would you, would you mind praying for our ministry? You know, we planted this church. God's got his hand all over it, but you, would you just, you know, would you just pray for steadfastness and perseverance and faithfulness? And he said, I'd love to. And he held our hands and he prayed and he prayed for our marriage. That's it. He prayed that I would love my wife like Christ loved the church. He never mentioned our church. He never mentioned ministry. He just prayed for our marriage. And then when he said amen, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, you love your wife like Christ loved the church and you make disciples. And Jesus will build his church. Amen. Amen. And then right before, right before we were getting ready to leave, I was like, um, so if you could preach one more crusade, I know you can't call him that anymore, but if you could preach one more crusade, what would it be? What would it be? And he says, oh, that's easy. Kind of closes his eyes and he says, I would preach on Galatians 6.14. And I went, mmm. That's how white people say amen sometimes, you know. Mmm. Yeah. Mmm. Man, I don't know what Galatians 6.14 even is. I have no idea. So luckily he can't see that good and I'm over there mooing and I get my phone, I go to my U version. <laughs> mm, yeah, glory. And I look it up. Here's what it says. Now again, this is Billy Graham, he's probably he has. He's led more people to Jesus than any other human in human history. And if he gets one more shot, if he gets one more time to open his mouth, his big dream, and can we just agree the brothers had some big dreams? Here's his big dream, Galatians 6, 14. This is what he would preach on. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the last point I want to talk to you about is legacy. When I think about where I want to give, I want to think about the legacy question. So the question for me is, what difference can I make over time? I don't want to embarrass anybody in the room, so I'll be very coy here, but there's a, a single lady in our church who doesn't, um, wouldn't fall on the wealthy side of the spectrum, but for over a decade, she's been a faithful giver to this church. And for over a decade, she's given her little bits of money every single pay period. She's given thousands of dollars to this church. And that's a legacy. And every single good thing we've done, she's been a part of it. And sometimes you can't always connect the dots, but one day she'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, well done. And the connections will be made for her. I, I, I'm not, I'm blessed, but I'm not wealthy. But over time, I can do dramatic things for the kingdom of God. I won't be Billy Graham, but I can do the part I'm called to do. And you can too. 
So for me, two big, important first steps. Getting to the core of why I give the way I do. I want to challenge you to think about the question, why do you give the way you do? I'm not asking you to give my way. You should probably know, though, why you give the way you do. That's for you to figure out. That's your elephant to tackle. I don't have to tackle yours. You do. Why do you give the way you do? You don't have the information you needed? Maybe today that helps. Or you haven't managed your finances well? We can help with that. You simply don't value these things? You're going to have to wrestle with that. Why do you give the way you do? And then number two, what have I decided in my heart to give? Years ago, when Jill and I were living in the tipping side of giving, we would tip the Lord's work. We decided in our hearts that we wanted to move to full obedience and beyond. And that decision became the genesis of so much good. So I can take you right now to a handful of people who are in ministry doing God's work. In part, we're not responsible, but in part, our investment in them made a difference. When you give to this church, the words that Joby used that Billy Graham said to him, love your wife, make disciples, and the Lord will grow the church. When you give here, we're helping marriages and families in North Cincinnati. We're going to do it year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out. And over time, God's going to do dramatic things. And I never, ever want to miss the opportunity to give you a chance to be a part of it. So what are your first steps? Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together right now. This whole conversation today was predicated on the reality that Jesus is the Lord of your life, but I'm aware that it's very possible in this room, maybe he's not. And so next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And I want to be clear, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And then he said that where your treasure is, your heart will be. So you give him your heart, and then he arranges all the priorities. It's a beautiful thing to walk with your Savior. So if you want to confess your sin, your need of a Savior, and give yourself wholly and totally over to his lordship in your life, we'd ask you to check next step A that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And in a couple minutes, put the card in the bucket when it passes by. Pray with me in a second and say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I'll trust the work you did on your cross and in the resurrection to save me. Or maybe today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you have questions about baptism, want to get baptized, check the box there. The next step C says, hey, I'm going to answer my why question. Right there at the bottom of your notes, why do you give the way you do? I'm going to answer my why question why question concerning my giving for myself. If you do that, I'll send you a couple notes this week to remind you. I don't need anything. You don't have to respond back to me. But I'd love for you to do the hard work of addressing the elephant in your own life about your giving. Why do you give the way you do? It's a powerful question. Next step, D. Who would say, truth is, I have some fear about giving that prevents me from doing what deep down I really want to do. I've got some fear about it. See, I have found that most Christians aren't greedy. 
We're fearful. So let's pray about that. And I'll ask God to drive away that darkness and give you boldness in this and other areas of your life. Next step E. Who would say, hey, send me the link to Grow One, which is all about membership. That's coming up in a couple weeks. And then we have our first ever members-only meeting for people who really are vested in making this place all that God wants it to be. Would you set your connect, your, your connect card down right now and prepare to give your gifts and offerings? Hey, if you were upset about what you heard today, you have my permission, don't give a penny. It's fine. Generous people make this church happen. Faithful people make this church happen. On the other hand, if you were stirred by what you heard, today could be the first day of a gift of a new kind for you. And that's welcomed as well. And you should know that when you give to this church, every penny is looked at multiple times, multiple eyes. And if you come to the membership meeting, you'll have a chance to hear even more about that. And you should know that every penny is spent on mission. We hire good and competent staff. We have incredibly high standards of character. This is a good place to invest. And I wouldn't want to miss giving you an opportunity to do that. Several of you have already given online. That's how about 64% of our income comes in. You do it recurring, regularly, and electronically. Thank you for that. Right now, we're going to pray about our next steps and our offering. And then we're going to worship God together in communion. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you that you didn't go after our wallets. You went after our hearts. But thank you, Lord, that you have pressed in on all the things of life. You've pressed in our relationships, on our marriages, and even our checkbooks. So, Father, we ask now at the end of this conversation that you give us boldness to ask hard questions of ourselves. Why do we give the way we give? And I pray, Father, we'd confront any fear in our lives and the power that raised you from the dead would be at work in our thinking. And you'd free us up. God, I want to thank you. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for the faithful people that you have blessed. And out of the blessing you've brought to them, they have given back to your work. God, would you take our gifts today, make them go far and wide. Would you rebuke the devourer for your sake and for your kingdom's work? Father, I join right now in unity with those who are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I have nothing to bring. So I accept freely the work that you gave on the cross and in your resurrection to secure my relationship with my heavenly Father. And Lord, as we gather around your communion table today, would you nourish us with every spiritual nourishment we need to accomplish all you've called us to do. We reflect on your greatness, on your goodness and on your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen.